So when you get on a, a plane, you go and you take your seat and you sit there and you sit there and sometimes you sit there even longer. And as you're sitting there, a lot of times the, the pilot will come on with some excuse about why they're not pushing back from the gate yet, right? And they'll say something like, uh, hey, everybody, we would really appreciate it if you would sit down. And, and uh, if your luggage is too big for the compartment in front of you, don't try to force it, but you can check it. Just give it to one of our flight attendants. But as soon as everybody has a seat, we'll be on our way. Or sometimes they'll come on and say, hey, we're just finishing up refueling, um, and then we'll, we'll get on our way. But sometimes everybody's in their seat, and you're just sitting there on the plane, and, and you're waiting. You're going, why are we not moving? What is going on? Why, why do I just have a bad feeling that I'm about to hear bad news and going to have to get off this plane and wait some more inside the building. But sometimes the pilot then comes on and says, you know what, the, the only thing we're waiting for, we're ready to go, but there was a plane that got delayed on the way in. We're just waiting for a few more passengers to get on board the plane. Once they get here and once they get on board and take their seats, then we'll push back and we'll be on our way. And then you start directing that angst and that uh, frustration towards those people that are running late, right? And you don't, they don't realize how much they're ruining your life. But in some ways, we're waiting for the last passengers to get on the plane. As you think about the return of Christ, as you sit here and think about Jesus coming back, which he himself said he was going to come back multiple times. We're going to look at that even tonight. But as you sit here and think about the return of Jesus, ask yourself, what's the one thing that's keeping him from returning? And you might say, well, it's, it's the will of the Father. Yes, that's true. But specifically, I think practically, the thing that's keeping Jesus from coming back, from hearing from God the Father, okay, now's the time, is the last person to get saved. And the thought that I want you to think about even this evening is that somebody somewhere right now in this very moment could be sharing the gospel with the last person that's going to be saved. Somebody could be about to repent from their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And that's the last soul, according to God's foreordained plan, to be saved. And then, boom, it's, it's rapture time. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for the church at that point because the church is now full. The, the fullness of the number of Gentiles, as uh, the Bible puts it, has been brought in, and so Jesus is coming back. But the reason I want you to think about that is because I want you to then ask the question, if that's all we're waiting for, am I ready tonight where I sit for the return of Christ? Am I ready for Jesus to come back? In Mark chapter 13, Jesus was talking to his disciples and in verse 32, we're going to read down through verse 37, he says this, but concerning that day, what day? The day of his return, the day he's coming back, his second return. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard then and keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep and what i say to you i say to all stay awake well in the context what drove jesus to tell this parable is all the way back towards the beginning of matthew chapter or mark chapter 13 in Mark chapter 13, the disciples and Jesus, they're on the Temple Mount and they're pointing out the temple. They're pointing out all of the, the just amazing works of, of art that were on the Temple Mount, the buildings and all the opulence and the grandeur and the majesty. And they're, they're pointing that out to Jesus going, hey, Jesus, aren't these things so amazing? 
And Jesus responds and he starts to tell them that, that the temple is actually going to be destroyed. He says there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And man, that would have shaken the disciples to their core. They would have been thinking there's no way that's going to happen. That already happened once to us. Jesus, you're here. Remember, so many of them thought that Jesus was going to be a political and a military Messiah. And they're thinking, Jesus, you're here. There's no way you'll allow the temple to get destroyed. And so they ask the, the logical question, well, when is that going to happen? Tell us when these things are going to take place. In fact, we want to know what signs we should be looking for. What should we be watching for so that we're going to be ready if this happens? And then Jesus begins to go on and talk about what some of the signs of the end of the age are going to be. And he talks about in verse 6, he says there's going to be false Christs, false messiahs, people that pretend to be Jesus, that that come out and say that, that I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, I'm the return of, of Jesus, and they're going to come. And then he says, you're going to hear of wars, and you're going to hear of rumors of wars, threats of wars that are going to be taking place. Then he said, you're going to see earthquakes. There's going to be famines, verse 8. And then he said, there's going to be persecution. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be delivered over before councils and tribunals. They're going to beat you. They're going to flog you. They're going to persecute you for being my followers, Verses 9 through 13. And then verses 14 through 20, he says there's going to be a, a time of tribulation, a time of sorrow, a time of suffering unlike there's ever been before. And that's going to come. And then after that will be the return. Those are the signs that you should be looking for. But Jesus then goes on to tell these two parables. And we're only covering one of them. The parable that he tells first is the parable of the fig tree. And he's talking about the, the signs that you know when it's time to gather fruit and when it's not time to gather fruit. And so he's talking about being able to interpret the signs there. But then he tells the parable that we have in order to shape our thinking about his return. Leading into it, he says this in verse 32, like I just read a moment ago. But concerning that day or hour when Jesus is coming back, no one knows. This is an amazing statement here because he goes on, he says, not even the angels in heaven. And he says, nor the son. So Jesus, at least in his humanity at this point in time, if you think about the, the uh, passage in Philippians chapter 2, when it said that Jesus, being in the very form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped and held onto. But he said he, he emptied himself. He, of his own will, of his own accord, set aside some of his div divine prerogatives. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He just set aside some of his d divine prerogatives so that he could come under the, the total authority and will of God. And in his humanity, Jesus is saying, look, I don't even know when that day or hour is going to be that I'm going to come again. And he says, but only the Father. And so when we think about these things, and, and even now you, you hear a lot of people saying, you know what, this is when Jesus is coming back. I figured it out. I read the Bible backwards, and I listened to it backwards in Hebrew, and then I listened to it backwards in Spanish, and Ricky Martin sang it to me backwards, and now I know this is the date that Jesus is coming back. No one can prove me wrong. And then that day comes, and that day goes, and the world points its finger at Christianity and laughs, right? But even still, there's people with integrity behind themselves that, that would love to know that, that consume themselves with thinking about the end times and thinking about the return of Jesus and thinking about the rapture. And, and they lose sleep over trying to predict it and, and figure out the, the times and the seasons. And a lot of times they, they get into fear mongering and everything else. And that's not what I want us to do because that's not what Jesus was concerned about. You see, Jesus was not so concerned about the when of the end times, but the what now, about right now in the present. And what should his return have to do with your life and the way that you live it and the way that I live my life right now in the, the, the current time that we are today? And so he says this in verse 33. He says, be on guard. Nobody knows. So he says, be on guard. Keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. 
The practical goal of our faith right now as believers in Jesus is to live ready for his return at any minute. Jesus tells this parable. He says, it's like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. The parable starts out with this man going on a journey and the journey is a round trip. This man is coming back. He's not leaving for good. He's going to return home. And the way that we know this is he's leaving his servants in charge to take care of his property and his estate. If he was leaving and not coming back, he would have sold everything. He would have taken his servants with him. But as it is, he knows he's coming back. And so he gives his servants a job and says, hey, you need to stay here while I'm gone and and make sure that you tend the property. Make sure that you take care of things and that nothing goes haywire while I'm gone. There's an old saying that says, when the cat's away, what? The mice will play, right? When the cat's away, the mice will, will play. In other words, when the boss is gone, when the guy in charge is gone, then we can live however we want to live. He doesn't know what doesn't hurt him. And if he's gone, then we don't have to abide by the rules. We don't have to live by the way that he wants us to live or anything else. And that's really something that if we embrace that mindset as, as Christians is going to get us nowhere but in a whole lot of trouble. Because as Jesus tells this parable about this master. Jesus is the man going on the journey, the round trip, and he is coming back. And in the meantime, he's given us a role. He's given us a job. He's given us responsibilities that he expects us to carry out. And so he wants that from us. Again, not to be concerned about the when, but the what now when it comes to his return. Our first point tonight is this. You need to live like Jesus is coming back. Live like Jesus is coming back. Sometimes at home, whatever, I'll need to go do something. A man will be gone or what, whatnot, and, and I'll be there with, with uh, Luke and the twins. And I'll say to Luke, hey, can you watch the twins for me while I go do this really quick? Which you're thinking you leave your three-year-old in charge of your two-year-olds. That's brilliant. Whether it is or not is another story. But what's funny is when I give Luke that responsibility, I know he's going to take it seriously. And so I'll go to do something, whether it's go get a drink from the, the garage or whatever, and, and I'll hear Luke be like, Daddy, jo- John's moving. Daddy, Daddy Sam's breathing. Daddy Sam's playing with a toy. He's giving me like status updates along the way. Why? Because he wants me to know that, I'm doing, that he's doing the job that I asked him to do. And he wants me to know not only that he's doing the job that I asked him to do, but he's doing it well that he's doing it with excellence because he wants to please me. He wants me to be happy and also because he knows that I'm coming back. And so when I come back, Luke wants to be able to say to to me, hey, you know what, daddy, I I did the job that you asked me to do. I did what you wanted me to do. I knew you were coming back and I did what you asked of me. Well, God's coming back and God, Jesus has given us a job and we should be just as serious about it as Luke is about trying to make me proud. We should want to make it God proud with how we are living our lives. We should want him when he returns to be pleased with us. And the driving motivator behind that is because we actually do believe that he is coming back. And that underlies so much of this parable. And that underlies so much about our identities as believers and about how we live our lives as Christians. Whether or not you believe in what Jesus has said in the scriptures, whether or not you believe he's going to return or not, is going to inform the way that you believe that you should be following him, the way that you obey him, the way that you adhere to the scriptures. You remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven, right? And the disciples are sitting there dumbfounded with their jaws on the floor, staring up into heaven. And, And what do the angels say? They say, why are you staring at the clouds? Jesus who left is going to return. How, and they say what? In the same way that he left. He's going to come back. But in the meantime, they say, you've got a job to do. 
So go get busy doing the job. Don't just sit there and stare at the sky. Don't just sit there and, and, and count the, the clouds and try to figure out when he's coming back. You've got a job to do that he's entrusted to you. He will come back, but right now your job is to go out and get busy with what he wants you to be doing. And so what does it look like to live like Jesus is coming back? You remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is? What, is he, what does he say in response? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, right? But then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus sums up the whole law, what it looks like to fulfill the law of God in, in two commandments. Basically, love God and love others. So I'd say, number one, if, if you want to live like Jesus is coming back, make that your aim. As you think about your life, how you, how you love the Lord and how you love others, those are the two broad baskets un, into which so many of these other things that I'm going to mention are going to fall. But those are the two most important things categorically to think of in how you're living your life. Are you living a life that is loving God with everything that you have? Not giving a, a, a part of yourself, but everything. Surrendering completely to the Lord. Surrendering completely to God. And then second, are you loving others well? Loving God, some of the ways that we're called to do that in the scriptures. Think of the, the passage in uh, Colossians, the put off and put on. If you've been seated with God or if, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. And then he talks about what we're supposed to put off. And so, some of the things that we're supposed to put off as believers, you, you think of anger, you think of wrath, you think of malice, you think of lust. Even you, you can go over to Galatians 5 and uh, the works of the flesh versus the, the fruit of the spirit. And you think about those things that we're supposed to put to death in us, sexual immorality, slander, gossip. Uh, those, those elements are, are things that we should be putting off in our life. If we're living like Jesus is coming back, we don't want to be living a life character Characterized by those things, and we'll talk more about why in, in a little bit here, but we're supposed to be putting those things off and putting on other things. Putting on the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you want a litmus test of whether or not you're living like Jesus is coming back, take the fruit of the Spirit, take your life, hold your life up to the fruit of the Spirit, that grid, and ask the Lord and, and ask yourself and ask others who know you well, hey, do you see these things in my life? Are these fruit evidence in my life that, that I am being uh, used by God, that I'm being faithful, that God is conforming me, sanctifying me in this life? Paul also talks about walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Again, similar ideas there. What are, you, what are you giving yourselves over? What are those things that, that characterize you? Another thing that we should be doing if we're living like we expect Jesus to come back is making disciples. It's one of the, the last commands he gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So we should be evangelistic. We talked about that last week, being lights of the world. Guys, that's what I want to see most from our ministry here, from Third Nine, is just to see that ratcheted up. Um, it, it's, it's neat to see God is, is, is bringing some, some people that would say honestly and openly, hey, I, I, I'm not a Christian. And he's bringing them around our group, at least around the perimeter of our group. And it, it seems like there's spiritual warfare going on there to, to, to get them here. I would love nothing else than to have them here because this is where they're going to be able to hear the gospel. They're going to be able to see their lives changed and transformed. So I would love for nothing else for this group. If there's one thing that I want to see as change about this group, it's that I want to see us become more vibrant witnesses for Jesus Christ. I want to see evangelism be a key component of every single one of your lives. I want every single one of you in this room, if you are genuinely a Christian, to have somebody in mind that you are thinking, this is somebody who's lost that I know that needs to hear the gospel from me. 
and to be pursuing them, to be engaging them, to be bringing them here to third nine. Live like Jesus is coming back. Evangelism, prayer. How's your prayer life doing? Are you praying? Are you, are you speaking with the Lord? Are you talking with God? Are you, like Paul talked about, praying without ceasing? Praying not just when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed, not just when you're about to eat a meal, but before you go in to have a meeting with somebody, before you go in to take an exam, before you get in the car to drive someplace, after you get out of the car, when you're walking on your campus, when you're going to your, your workplace, are you praying, God, give me an evangelistic encounter with somebody today? Are you praying for these things? Are you praying the things that God would want you to be praying? Time in the word. If we're going to live like Jesus is coming back, we need to be men and women of the word. We need to be spending time in the scriptures, not just checking a box saying, well, I read the Bible earlier today, but giving ourselves over to it, thinking about it, meditating on it, listening to it, listening to sermons about it. Again, if you believe that Jesus is returning, think about your life. Would somebody be able to tell that by the way that you live your life outside of here? Would they be able to look at the decisions that you make and, and say, yeah, that, that person believes that Jesus is coming back? If somebody were to follow you around for 24 hours and then at the end of it, we were to show that and, and tell the people that watched us, hey, this person's a, a believer in Jesus Christ who believes that Jesus is coming back sometime. Would they be able to tell that in how you live your life? Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the world that we live in, the, the physical things, the things that we waste so much time pursuing, what sort of people should we be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? And so the, the fact that, that Jesus is coming back, Peter's saying, should have an impact on our lives. Our lives should match our doctrine. Jesus continues, he says, therefore, since that master is going to come back and he's put you in charge, he says, therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. So Jesus is talking about this, this doorkeeper, this person that's supposed to keep watch over the house, make sure that nobody who's not supposed to get in the house gets in the house, make sure that, that he protects the house, but also keep an eye out for the master when he returns, that he can unlock the door and let him in and welcome him home the way that a servant should with his master who comes back from a journey. And Jesus says that master could return at any time. And he, he lists four watches, which were the four watches of the night. The first one was the, the evening watch, which lasted until 9 p.m., the second one was the midnight watch, which what do you think that lasted to? No, one. No, it was midnight. It was 12. Just making sure that you guys are, are tracking, paying, paying attention, staying awake. Third one, the rooster would crow at 3 a.m. So there was somebody else that was supposed to, to keep watch until 3 a.m. And then finally, there's the morning watch, which lasted until 6 a.m. So 12 hours. And Jesus' point is the master could come back at any time during that stretch. And you need to be ready at any time for that return. Any of you get tickets to the, the Star Wars land? Get reservations? Diego, you are a cheater. Diego went to work at Disneyland just so he could get tickets to, to Star Wars. No, he didn't. But So I was talking with somebody. In fact, uh, Isaac Garrido, Sammy, Isaac, you guys are right here. And, uh, and Isaac was telling me, you didn't even raise your hand. You are a false witness. You should forfeit those tickets. Anyways, Isaac got tickets. So if you guys want tickets, buddy up to Isaac, and uh, maybe he'll take you instead of Sammy, although probably not. But Isaac was telling me that to get tickets, he had to get on this website, right? And the website said, uh, it'll open up in a little bit. Don't refresh your page. And so the reason that Isaac got tickets when the rest of you didn't is because the rest of you were probably super impatient hitting the refresh button, trying to wait for the, the website to open up. But Isaac just sat there. 
But while you were sitting there watching that, I'm sure that you were doing your, your work like you said you were, but you probably had one eye on that screen the whole time, watching, waiting, because you knew what? At any moment, that screen could refresh and you could be in and ready to buy your tickets. And eventually you finally saw that, okay, finally, boom, it, it refreshes, you get in and you and the rest of the Star Wars nerds can go and lightsaber fight to your heart's delight in front of the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars Land. And Diego, you can go lightsaber fight with Diego in Star Wars Land. Anyways, but you were watching, you were waiting, you knew that it could happen at any minute. And Jesus is illustrating in a similar way for his disciples the answer to the question they asked way at the beginning of Matthew, or Mark chapter 13. When they said, when are these things going to be? And Jesus says, that's not the point. The point is, what are you supposed to be doing now? You should be watching for the signs now. You should be eagerly waiting for these things. Like the watchman standing watch by the door. Like Isaac watching for that webpage to refresh so that he would know that now was his time and he could do it. We need to keep our eyes peeled. In fact, as Christians, the next thing that's bound to happen is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Paul writes there, For the Lord himself will descend, will descend, will descend. Not may, not is supposed to, not might, not hopefully, will. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Paul's describing for us here the next thing that we're waiting for. Just like the, the, the first century Jews were waiting for the coming Messiah, Jesus' disciples, they were waiting for the coming Messiah. You remember the birth of Jesus and he's taken to the temple. And you remember Anna and Simeon in the temple when they see Jesus, when they see the baby Jesus, and they say, finally, we've been waiting for this one. He's the hope of Israel, the consolation of Israel, and he's finally here. They were waiting for the first coming of Jesus. Well, you and I are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that that's going to happen, and when that happens, there's not going to be a, a, a warning shot. There's not going to be a, a, hey, 10-minute warning, and Jesus is coming back, so if you're not ready, get ready. No, he says it's going to be a trumpet blast. There's going to be a cry of command. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. There's going to be the voice of Jesus himself. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are left alive are going to be caught up with him. This is the event that we refer to in Christian circles and in theology as the, the rapture. The point is, that's the next thing on the, the scope of salvation history. We're not waiting for anything else. This is next. And this could happen at any time. Like I said in the opening, the only thing that's keeping this from happening right now is waiting for that last person who's going to come to faith in Christ. And God the Father is going to look at God the Son and say, okay, now's the time. Go back for your bride. Go back for your church. And so the question is, are you ready for that tonight? Because there's not going to be a warning for it. There's not going to be a, a hey, this is, this is about to happen. Everybody get ready who's not ready. This is not being on the plane and having the flight attendant come on and be like, hey, we're about to hit some turbulence, so sit down in your seat and, and buckle your, your seatbelt. This is going to happen, and it's going to be imminent, and it's going to be at a moment that, that you're not expecting. And so be ready for it so that you're always ready, no matter when that time is. The second point for us tonight is this. Don't just live like Jesus is coming back, but live like Jesus is coming back today. Live like Jesus is coming back today. Again, in the parable in verse 35, 
Jesus says this. He says, therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Sometimes Amanda goes out for in the evenings for meetings, for coffee, for whatever. And she'll ask me to do something like, hey, the trash smells like baby diapers. So can you take that out for me? And uh, she'll just say something like, can you take that out before I get back? Sure, no problem. So she leaves, and what do I do? I jump on my phone, and I find the Find My Friends app, and I hit Notify Me for when she leaves where she's at so that I've got plenty of time to, uh, to watch SportsCenter or whatever, or the Rangers game, and I don't have to, to deal with the trash right away. We don't have a Find My Friends app Notify Me when the Savior's getting ready to come back to earth. That app doesn't exist. And so while I have the benefit to, to know that my phone dings and go, oh man, I got to take out the trash because I haven't done that yet. And I do that, right? We don't get that benefit when Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come back. And it says clearly in scripture, nobody knows the time that he's coming. We don't have any predictors for when he's going to come to be able to go, okay, it's going to be tomorrow. So tonight I can live it up as long as I repent of my sins before three o'clock tomorrow. That's not how it works. We need to always be living like he could come back today. The number one way that you need to deal with this tonight is to make sure that you actually are a follower of Jesus. That's the number one thing. If you want to be ready for Jesus' return today, the first thing that you need to do is make sure that you are a Christian. Jesus' return is talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter there, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, says, The Lord is not slow. In other words, people say, well, why hasn't he come back yet? Where is he? He hasn't come back yet. Why, why should we believe that he's going to come back at all? Peter says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. What promise? The promise that he is going to come back. The Lord will descend. He's not slow to fulfill that promise as some count slowness. But it says in the text that he is patient towards you. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so he's waiting. So God is waiting. But that patience, that window is closing. And there's going to be a time, and none of us know when that is, when that window is shut once and for all, and it's not going to be opened again. And so if you're playing with your eternity, if you're waiting and thinking, well, I'll deal with this later, I want you to think about the fact that, that tonight that window could close while you're sitting in this room and there's no second chance after that. The writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Not then comes a, a second chance. Not then comes Rob Bell with his heresy about love winning. Not then comes annihilation. You just are destroyed and there's no sense or there's, there's no feeling anymore. No, then comes judgment. And that judgment is, is the horrors of hell. And so tonight, I want you to think about and, and consider the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment and what that means for you. And what I want you to do, no matter what, is to make sure that tonight that you are indeed a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that you've recognized your need for salvation, that you are a sinner, that you've offended a, a holy and perfectly just God, but that he didn't leave you that way. He didn't immediately wipe you off the face of the earth. He didn't just let you live out in, in your sin and then destroy you in hell after that. No, he's provided Jesus for you for salvation. He's offered it and said, come to, to me, you who are, are weary and heavy laden. He's, he's saying Christ is here. If you will repent from your sins, if you will seek forgiveness for your sins, you can be forgiven. You can have that confidence that if Jesus were to come back tonight, you would be okay because you would be with him. 
If you haven't made that decision, let me encourage you, make that decision tonight. Implore you, make that decision tonight. Because yes, Jesus, God is patient, but that patience is not infinite. That patience is going to eventually run out and Jesus will come back. And at that moment, it's going to be too late. You and I, we don't have the, the luxury of the Find My Friends app for God. If you're a Christian, the, the question I want you to think about tonight is, it, with regards to this point is this. What is Jesus going to find you doing when he comes back? What is he going to find you doing? It's like that worn out sitcom thing from Nickelodeon and, and those things where the, the parents are gone and the, the kids are like, we're going to throw a house party. It's going to be so awesome. We're going to invite all our friends. And then it gets out of control and they're not ready for it to get out of control. And, you know, somebody brings the doobies and somebody else brings the beer and everything else. And they're going, oh no, what are we going to do? Mom and dad are going to be so mad. And then what happens? Mom and dad, what? They come home unexpectedly. They come back from their trip and they're like, hey, our flight got canceled. What's going on here? Well, you don't want that to be your life when Christ comes back. And so I, I want to ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing with your thought life? What thoughts are you entertaining? Think about what you would be considering, what you would be entertaining in your mind when, when Jesus comes back. The thoughts that you do have. Okay, man, if Jesus came back right now and this was what was going through my mind, what would be my, be my reaction, my response? Your words, the things that you say, the things that you talk about with one another, with other people. If Jesus was to come back in the middle of this conversation, what would your response be? Your social media accounts. Not just what you're putting up there, but the social media accounts that you follow. Those accounts that you, you're searching for. If Jesus was to come back at that moment, what, what would be your reaction? Your browser history. Jesus is coming back. What, what would be your response in that moment. Your dating relationships. If Jesus was to come back in the middle of your next date with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, what would be his response? What would be your response? Your relationship with your parents. That next argument, that next conflict that you get into with your mom and dad, what would your response be if Jesus was to come back at that moment? Or how about your time in the word and prayer and your attitude towards those things? As you're thinking about, man, I could read the Bible, but what would your response be if Jesus was to come back in that moment? Because that's the reality, guys. He could come back at any moment, and we need to live like that in light of what's called the, the imminence of the return of Jesus, that there's nothing holding him back right now, that it could be any moment, any minute, any second, and he could come back. We don't know when it's going to be. One of the things that we work on with our kids is to try to get them to take that one extra beat before they speak, right? To try to take that one extra beat to go, okay, is this something that I should say or not say? Is this something that I should do or not do? And that's what I'm trying to, to drive at here for us. As, as we're thinking about the return of Christ, we need to take that one extra beat and ask ourselves, is this something that I would want to be saying, doing, thinking, looking at, fill in the blank when Christ comes back? If we were all to, to have that mindset, do this, would be a far holier people. And I would also venture to say we would be a far happier people because God has actually given us his word, given us prescriptions, given us his commands in order that we would be satisfied, that we would be content, that we would be happy. And I know that flies in the face of what so much of our world says that, you know, God is a cosmic killjoy. He's not. In following his word and in, in giving ourselves over and being devoted to him, there's, there's joy and there's happiness and contentment to be found there. 
But I also know that we'd be far more effective people at evangelism too if we would live with this mindset that Jesus could come back at any moment. And one of the reasons is if that's true, man, what should that do for our desperation to, to witness to people, to share the gospel with somebody? That person that you're thinking, yeah, I probably should share the gospel with them, but maybe somebody else will come do it. If you're living like Jesus could come back at any moment, you need to have a, a desperation to go after them. John wrote this in 1 John 2.28. He says, And now, little children, abide, remain in Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That's a sobering verse to think that as, as Christians, there's something that we could be found doing when Jesus comes back that would cause us to shrink from our Savior in shame at what should be the greatest moment of our entire lives. And so we need to live ready for Jesus to come back at any moment. Verses 36 through 37, uh, Jesus continues and says, here's the consequence. If, if you don't, lest he come suddenly, there's that, that imminence again, suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is an ominous ending to this parable. But there's, there's consequences, right? That's, that's why Jesus ends things this way. If you're not ready for his return, there's consequences for that. Think about your current job. How well would it go for you if you were found sleeping on your job? I'm just thinking of Joseph being found sleeping on Sunday morning when it's time for worship. That, I mean, that would not go well, right? I don't know if it'd be worse for you for, with your dad or with Pastor Mike, but either way, things would not go well for Joseph if he was sleeping on the job. It, it's, it, we get this, right? We understand this concept, and yet spiritually so many of us are sleeping on the return of Christ, thinking, well, it's no big deal. Because we're falling into the mindset of 2 Peter chapter 3, thinking that his slowness means that he's not really coming. This is why I said at the beginning, all of this has to do with whether or not you actually believe that Jesus is coming back. And that's something that you guys are going to have to wrestle with tonight, that you're going to have to wrestle with throughout the rest of your lives. That do you believe this? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the word of God? That he could return at any moment. And if you do, are you living that way? Or are you running the risk of him coming back and finding you not awake, not alert, not doing what he's asked you to do, but are you running the risk of him coming back and finding you asleep? Our final point is this, live like Jesus' return matters. Live like Jesus' return matters. It does matter. Right now, y'all are, are living like a lot of different things matter. Some of you are living like grades matter. And to a certain extent, they do. So you're applying yourself, you're disciplining yourself. You're working hard. You've got your studies in order. You're making sure that you're hitting the books. You're making sure that you're doing a good job because the grades to you matter because you want to get a good job when you graduate. And so you're living that way and that's impacting the way that you live your life. Some of you are, are living like privileges matter right now. You're living at home and mom and dad have said, hey, if you're going to be at home, these are our expectations of you if you want to maintain your privileges. And so in your mind, you're thinking that matters to me. So I'm going to make sure that I obey my mom and dad. I'm going to make sure that I'm living a life that's in, in submission to them because I want to maintain my privileges. Some of you are living like money matters right now. And so you've got a job and you work hard at that job. And you're thinking to yourself, I need to get a better job that's going to pay me even more than this job does. Because you're living like money matters. And to a certain extent, it does. But you're allowing that value to impact your life. Some of you are, and I wish more of you would, are living like members of the opposite sex matter. And so you put in some effort before you show up at third nine. You 
put on the, the cologne or the perfume before you show up at third nine or before you go to school and you've got your eye on somebody and you're trying to catch their attention. So you're allowing your value of that person, that member of the opposite sex to inform your life, to transform your life and the way that you live. We need to live, guys, in the same way. In fact, more so, so much more so, like the fact that Jesus is coming back matters. That there's consequences there. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Again, if you actually believe it, Because if you don't believe that he's returning at all, you're not going to be motivated to respond and change anything about your life. If you're not believing that he could return today, you're not going to be motivated to change anything about your life. But even if you check off those two boxes, but you don't believe like that return really matters, you're still not going to be motivated to change anything about your current life. But here's the the thing. Jesus made it very clear that his return does matter. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is written to Christians. 2 Corinthians 5.10, and it says that all of us are going to appear before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, as believers, as, as Christians. And we're going to receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. That day is coming. And so we need to, to say that that matters, that his return matters, because then I'm going to be in his presence. And what I've done here. What I've thought, what I've said, what I've believed, what I've looked at, all of that stuff is going to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to receive either reward or judgment or discipline for what is good, what I've done in the body, whether good or evil. The, the bad things are going to be burned up. The, the good things are going to be the, the, the rewards that we have, right? And so it, it should matter to us. It should impact the way that we live. If I tell you tomorrow, hey, you know what? Tomorrow it's going to rain. And you look at me and you think, you don't know anything, but I've got like a sure guarantee from every, this is a horrible illustration because weather people get things wrong so, so often, but everybody in the world is like, it's going to rain tomorrow. Okay. And you're like, dude, it's not going to rain tomorrow. I'm like, you should really take an umbrella tomorrow. Whatever. It's not going to rain tomorrow. I don't believe you. And I don't believe everybody else behind you. Okay, man, but it's, it's going to rain tomorrow. And then tomorrow you wake up and it's raining. Guess what you're going to get? You're going to get wet, right? because you didn't pay attention. You didn't think it would matter. And so you went out without the umbrella, without the the preparation, and and you got wet. Well, when Christ is coming back, the, the Bible is telling us, God is telling us, Christ is coming back, and it's going to matter. You need to be ready for his return. And so many of us are, are, intellectually saying, yes, I get that, and I agree with that, but the way that we live our lives is saying, I don't, I don't think that matters. I don't really care. But that doesn't change the fact that he is going to come back. And there are going to be consequences when he does return. There's going to be one of two responses. Hebrews 9.28. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there are going to be those who are eagerly waiting for Christ. And when he returns, there's going to be that joy. There's going to be that excitement. There's going to be that rejoicing that Jesus has come back. But then the other response is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, come. Amen. Will wail on account of him. Those that have rejected Christ, when they see him coming, they're going to wail. They're going to be mourning. They're going to be devastated in response to the return of Jesus. My desire, my heart for you guys is to be those that are waiting for him eagerly. 
that you're going to be excited for his return, that you're going to be overjoyed at the return of Jesus, that you're going to be able to say with other people, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's a good litmus test right there. When somebody prays that, when somebody says that, what's your response? What goes on in your gut? When you hear somebody say, man, I hope Jesus comes back quickly. Is your response, yes, I'm ready for that? Or is your response, oh man, I hope not because of yesterday or because of a few hours ago or because of five minutes ago? Is your response, yes, Lord, come quickly. I'm so ready to be with you. Or is it, you know what? I'm not ready for him to return yet. That's gonna be super revealing to, to where you're at in this whole idea of living in light of the return of Christ. For some of you, that's going to be revealing to where you're at in regards to salvation at all. He is coming back. He is coming back. He made that abundantly clear in the scriptures, not just through this parable, but so many other times. And so when we think about that reality, it's our choice now whether that reality is going to impact the way that we live our lives, whether that's going to make us a holier people, whether that's going to make us a people more content in the Lord, whether that's going to make us a people more effective and desperate for evangelism, which I hope it does. That idea that Christ is coming back, that he could come back at any moment, and that return matters, and we need to live our lives in light of that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for these realities. God, we, we thank you that you are coming back. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that, uh, that you haven't just left us and, and gone to be with God and, and left us on our own, but there's a future that awaits us and there's great hope in that and there's a, a future of being with you forever and ever and ever without end that awaits us and that, that's gonna be in the presence of the fullness of joy at, at the right hand of God where there's pleasures forevermore, where there's no more sorrow, sickness, pain, none of that. that. That's what awaits us. And so right now we live waiting for that day, wanting to be with you, Lord, but help us to live eagerly expecting the return of Jesus. God, help us to live lives that uh, there's nothing that we would be doing that we would be ashamed of if Christ were to return in that moment. God, help us to live lives that we are, are desperately searching out the lost so that we can share the gospel with them so that they can come to, to have faith in Christ and their sins can be forgiven and now they can be those that are eagerly looking forward to the return of Christ. Help us not to be apathetic about this reality, that the th fact that, that Jesus is coming back and that he could come back at any moment. Lord, let us care about that and care deeply about that more than we do right now. And let it transform our lives in response. In Christ's name, amen.